Welcome to the Truth CSGO Podcast, episode 13. This episode, I interview Jarek Lewis, aka DK, CSGO journalist and inveterate leaker. Now, while DK sounds crisp as a lettuce, I have to apologize for the crappy sound quality on my end. I was away for work, I only had my headphone mic with me, and I'm also sick with a cold because I never remember to take my vitamins and go to bed early. Plus, I'm a little bitch. Now, before we get started, the merest hint of housekeeping. Thank you for the iTunes reviews, Zabali and Ankus underscore touch. Warms my heart. Affirms my questionable life choices. I value it highly. Also, I've been in mourning from VP losing the Shanghai Star Ladder Invitational. Uh, but I've also been partying too much because Renegades won. Yeah, the boys. Uh, lovely to see an Australian-based, semi-somewhat Australian team winning a tournament. An international one too. So that warmed my heart. But now for the interview. For those that don't know DK, where have you been? Also, for those that do and want a little wrap up, he's a mechanical engineer. He made a name for himself in the scene when he called out YouTuber CSGO News for clumsily posting false and sometimes made up news. Fellow Redditors then asked him to put his money where his mouth was. And so he made his own video. Everyone was like, and I'll let him should, take over the story from there. more videos like this. And I wasn't like, I felt bad because I wasn't trying to kill the guy in the video. I wasn't, I wasn't trying to like tell everyone to hate on him. I just said, you know, here, you know, he's, he's contradicting himself in a lot of situations. And I basically gave him some advice. Here's what you should do so that it, this doesn't happen in the future. And I actually had people come to me from organizations and say, if, if we give you an, you know, some information for you to release, or if we give you the correct information when he's for some reason making something up. Like, would you be willing to do that? And I said, yes. So that's how it started. Basically, a couple organizations said, hey, actually, here's some information, which probably they shouldn't have done, like, technically, but I think they're getting pretty annoyed by it. They said that, and it snowballed from there to the point where um, I'm now a meme, and everyone says, you know, references per sources as if I made up that term. That strikes me as quite strange, like that uh, an organization, a professional organization, a company, with presumably its own marketing or PR department in some way would approach someone who makes a video on Reddit to release information for them to the public. Careful when you use professional when it comes to organizations because a lot of them appear professional, but on the inside, eh, not not the case a lot of times. So, um, And do you think this is, I mean, look, we'll we'll get into why (laughs) that may or may not be professional, but you think this is because we're still sort of in the wild west right now? Oh, yeah, that's definitely why. I mean... I've only been working, you could call it working in esports. I honestly don't, like, I don't look at it as work because I enjoy it so much, but it's, it, we're still really early. And just in my short experience with it, um, there are a lot of people who generally don't understand how a business works in, in the industry. I mean, there are a few out there. There's some very professionals. I can name them. There's just not really a point to, but there's some really well-run organizations. But there, on the other hand, there are also a, a lot of shady organizations and a lot of people getting themselves into trouble or, you know, they are putting players or other people in situations that's, you know, not good. And, and even though this has been going on for a while, it's still pretty early, I would say. I would still consider it the Wild West that a lot of people are trying to act like it isn't, but it really is, to be honest. Well, let, let's back up a sec. When you say shady, that that's different from being disorganized and not having... Oh, yeah, 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 those are two, just two separate things. So, what do you mean when you say shady? Um, there was an organization that people might remember from a little over a year ago, maybe a year and a half, it's called AGG, or Apparitions Got Game. They still owe Counter-Strike players a lot of money, like tens of thousands of dollars of unpaid salary or prize winnings. Uh, Twists from Liquid being one of them um, is the most notable. It's still owed money by the that, the owners of that organization. And they currently sponsor a, a PUBG team. They don't have a Counter-Strike team anymore. And I've I've publicized that and made that. that that's what, what I mean by shady. Either Whether it be organizations that don't pay their players or promise one thing and never deliver, it, it happens a lot. And Unfortunately, when you have a lot of young players, um, twists at the time when he was playing for that team was like 15 or 16. So when you have a lot of young players and they see a contract and it's the first money they've ever made, a lot of these players have never worked. And so when they see that money, 
they're just like, I want to play now. Let's just get this over with. I don't like reading. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to waste the time to have someone look at this. And that's what I mean by shady. Well, I mean, AGG is when were they, when, when did they have twist? Was that a, that a few years ago now? Twist is what? 18 yeah. now? That was a few years ago. I was, it was about two years ago when they played for them. They played for them for about, I don't know. I think it was three to it's either three or six months. It was. So, so when you say shady, I immediately go like, Oh, how how shady are these larger organizations that I know? How shady are these larger teams? I would say in 2017, I, I've it's the least I've seen in, in terms of shady in Counter-Strike. Uh, it was last year, actually, uh, towards the end of the year, about this time, there was a, a situation called the Professional Esports Association. I don't know if you yeah, saw anything about that PEA. back then. Yep. Yeah. So I, I, I did a story, uh, essentially, where I published the fact that all of the North American teams, I think it was eight teams in that. Uh, a lot of them were like LCS owners and stuff. Uh, they did, hadn't informed their players when they had signed uh, the contracts to be a part of the, the PEA that um, they would be essentially forced out of playing for ESL Pro League and playing. Uh, it wasn't exclusive to PEA, but they essentially, if you're going to play in PEA, you can't play, participate in ESL Pro League, which is a significant amount of prize winnings for for teams who are in it especially in north america mm. and uh they had no idea until i published that 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 was even a thing and so it caused a, a big rift and it ultimately ended up shutting down so i guess i'm kind of responsible for that i don't know but i mean those were some of the largest organizations it was cloud nine liquid clg a lot of those um really notable north american associations so if you consider that shady, I kind of did because they'd really left their players in the dark. And if they would have made their intentions clear from the beginning, that's fine to me. If they came out from the beginning and said, if you want to sign up for this, here's what you're going to have to do. Sure. But they kind of let it slide until the last second. And I guess you call it shady. But 2017, I would say, has been the best or the best year thus far that, that totally for Counter-Strike and that I've been working with it of kind of weeding that stuff. I, I didn't know much about the PEA thing, but wasn't that basically the first sort of union that was forming? I, I would call it that because they really put an emphasis on taking care of their players, which they did a lot of things right. There's actually a lot of things that if that would have went through would have actually been beneficial. They were offering health benefits for their players. They were offering retirement for their players, retirement plans. They were offering wow. a lot of things Ooh. that would have would have been really beneficial. But Ooh. Unfortunately, they they left out some of the things that would have been really good for the players to know ahead of time. Had they maybe brought that up up front and the players agreed to it, maybe we would have had a PEA today. Well, that sounds like a communication issue. I mean, yeah. it just sounds like just naivety in terms of you know being transparent. Yeah, I'd say that was the, the critical failure there, unfortunately. So one of the, a couple of names that come up when you're when we're talking about leaks and uh, the Counter Strike scene are Don Hassey, Don Hashi. I don't know how you pronounce his name. I don't. I don't know the technical term. And also this French journalist Nell. Do you guys yeah. have some sort of? You're like the trinity of, of of leaking. Do you have some sort of relationship? Do you have a rivalry? Do you try and out leak each other? I could I could probably go on a a really long uh, explanation for this. I will say for anyone who listens and. What I don't cover here, I actually covered really well. Uh, I did a, a video with Richard Lewis, uh, I don't know how many months ago. It's on his channel, check that out. But uh, I'll, I'll kind of give a, a summation of it. When it comes to, to it's Nellen Direct, I think is how you, I don't know how you really pronounce it. He's French. Um, him and I, uh, we do get along. We're both fans of a lot of the same things. I, he is, you know, I would say other than myself, the the number one journalist to go to for for. Uh, anything you know counter-strike um Hasi is is different uh we do have a rivalry i guess you could call it uh we do have history um a brief history with him and i uh at the point in time where i was just getting going i wasn't publishing any anything for a, a publication or anything i was just doing a kind of what i'm doing right now like twitter and youtube and uh i had mentioned that well, actually, it was before I mentioned, I was essentially looking into the fact that uh, Kerrigan would be joining FaZe because he had been benched from Astralis at the time. Mm -hmm. And and I had been covering that whole situation. I had mentioned, I had published that he was, uh, that none of the players on Astralis were listening to him anymore. And then that he was benched. And then following that, he was going to be benched, that Glaive would join. And then after that, I was kind of looking in and I was told by somebody that he would he would be purchased by FaZe. So um, a little bit around that time, Hasiya said, hey, I like the work you do. He DM'd me and said, uh, 
I'm a, I'm a fan of French teams. So if you hear anything about G2, can you just let me know? Because And, and I'll let you know anything I come across for other teams, mm. just as a courtesy. And this happens at times. A lot of people ask me all the time, do you pay for this information? No, that's it's extremely unethical, and I would never pay for anything, and I never have. But I do share information with people because that's, that's mm. kind of a common theme to how things work well. He had, among his other ways of finding out information, he basically told me, hey, I've also found out, yes, he's going to phase. So that right. is what we call uh, two independent sources corroborating the same story. That's when I normally go ahead and publish something. So I mentioned that phase is going to get Kerrigan and he loses it. He, he gets extremely upset. He says, I'm not a source for your information. You know, delete your tweet. And, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to be your source. And he got mad. And ever since then, he's, he's, he's had it out for me and, and kind of <laughs> pokes fun at me. And you know what? Honestly, I don't, I don't mind. Like, any, uh, this is the internet and a lot of people do it. And I honestly think some of the time, some of the things the guy does say are pretty funny. I've, I've said that multiple occasions. And I've said if he's ever to present himself at, a, at an organization or at, a, at an event, that I'd, I'd love to talk to him and, and I would buy him, buy him a beer. But so we, I guess you could call it a rivalry, but I don't really mention him. I don't say anything about him. If you look, I, I've never really discussed him other than what I've been asked in an interview. So yes, very, two different people, two very different people and two very different relationships. But uh, I wish no ill will against, you know, either of them, of course. And I wish, I wish there were more uh, people. I wish there was a thing I like about Nell is sometimes he'll beat me on something. And I like that. I like, it's a little bit of sense of competition. And uh, I like that people are looking into things. I love it. So you got a one-sided beef with Hassie and uh, a bit of healthy competition with Nell. Yeah. It's, uh, it's like we've got a little um, pro scene in terms of the Counter-Strike journalists as well. <laughs> a little bit. Who do you? Who's your favorite journalist? I'm a, I'm a Nell man myself. I'm a DK man. Yeah. I like that. Oh, trust me, there are people out there who they have their favorites. Look really? At their list. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, all right, so let's just. Uh, I'm just going to cover a few of the um, controversies you've been involved in. One of them was last November you got hacked on your YouTube and Reddit accounts, and I didn't quite understand how this happened. And on your video, you were like. I had a, a Gmail account or an email account that was linked to this YouTube account. How do you get hacked and then how do you recover it? I will say, you know, obviously I have nothing to prove it, but I have on very good accord that that happened due to the individual we were just talking about, which again, no, I, I don't, I don't have a problem. Um, it was my own fault because I basically have, you know, my few emails for whatever I do business on or from school or whatever it was in the work. And I did have an email that was really old from when I created the YouTube channel, like six years ago or seven years, maybe even more. And uh, I, I had two-step verification on literally anything that I log into, and I had just overlooked that one. And I think somebody had just went through, and um, there are there are websites where you can look up information that's been hacked from websites. And I think one of my emails is on there, and then one of the, the password that it was hacked with, I had not changed because it was a YouTube channel that... Um, I was just automatically logged into. And of course, I just so happened to not secure that one. So let's just be clear. <laughs> You're suggesting that Don Hassey hacked your YouTube account? I'm not saying that he did it. I just think that was at a time where uh, where he was really going at me hard for some of this, for some some of the things that he doesn't like that I, or that one event, I don't know what it is. So there was maybe a Hassey fanboy. That's my presumption because people had mentioned, people had told me that that they knew it was him. Whether it was or not, it, it's irrelevant. The real problem was me not securing okay. my account. Now, you had a recent article about Hellraisers. And uh, for those that haven't seen this article, it was in Slingshot. And it was about their plug on their Twitter account for sportsbet.io. And it was unclear about its affiliation with Hellraiser and the affiliation with Sportsbet, and it was talking about how they, you can, um, it's more profitable to bet with Bitcoins. So it was pretty suspect in its implications. Can you tell me about how you, how that sort of proceeded and how you found out about that and what, what happened then? Um, this, this kind of article is something that I would say uh, is why I liked working with Slingshot so much. Um, they they kind of have the attitude of, uh, if there's anyone out there doing something, you know, a little bit 
shady or or a little bit unethical, we want to know and we want to write about it. So I'm like, okay, that's cool with me. So when I saw the tweet, I was just, I had mentioned it to my editor and, and the people at Slingshot, like, can you believe that they just tweeted this? This is ridiculous. And so I, they're like, oh, write about it. And so I did. And then I ended up contacting the ESIC, which is the Esports Integrity Coalition, which is, it's just a, a organization that is, that governs anything run by MTG or owned by MTG, which is DreamHack, ESL are the two most notable. And I contacted them, even though they have their weird own affiliations too. And I just asked them about it and they said it was extremely, there's an extremely, uh, bad thing for them to do and if they would have done it if they would have tweeted something like that or published that article while at an event they would have been disqualified from the event for it unfortunately or not unfortunately but uh in this case they just you know did it in in the downtime but uh the fact that they just mentioned that betting with a different currency is more profitable is just ridiculous to me so it was more just i don't want to say venting frustrations but it was just pointing out that like some of the things these people are doing to an audience that is very young is a little bit careless. So I just like to point that out. I mean, you can everyone can talk for hours and hours on the whole gambling stuff and and how how it sits today and how it was and all all you can say really is we don't need more influences for people to um, you know just lose money because of these ill advised. Uh, articles or tweets or whatever influence it might be um it's just kind of careless for an organization and a team that has done some good things at times i'm going to do a a gambling episode um shortly and i've interviewed some people for it i'm curious as to someone who like you is you're a content provider in many ways you've got your youtube channel you've got your twitter account um and um, up until up until recently you were writing for slingshot how do you feel about people who are making similar content to you that have sort of pre and post role gambling things or people like Thorin who kind of integrate them into what he's talking about? Do you, do you think you might go down that route in the future and how do you feel about that sort of integration of betting with content providing? I'm almost certain I would never take any sort of uh, gambling or betting sponsored or anything like that because like I said before, my job is to present information to the public. And a, a lot of what goes into that is having a sort of blind trust. If I take some kind of sponsor like that, I would, I would worry that that would jeopardize a little bit of the trust that I've built. And some people may not trust me. That's fine. It's okay. But the, the trust I have built, I, I would like to keep that. And let's say one of these sites ends up, you know, someone, something ends up happening and that jeopardizes it, then that will kind of hurt what I've worked for. Um, for other people, I, I mean, it's tough cause I want to say, well, as long as the site is okay and the, and they, they're trustworthy individuals, but it's the internet. You can't really trust anybody. You don't know what some of these people are doing. I've seen some of the crazy things and I've looked into some of the crazy things that some of the case opening sites are doing and the modes that they can set their site on to make sure that they make X amount of money profit per day, no matter what. So it's, you know, I, I don't know. I it's it's hard for me. I mean, I have I don't look down on anyone that takes a sponsor. I, it doesn't bother me that Thorn is is advertising a, a betting website. It, it it really doesn't because ultimately it comes down to the user. You know, you should own you shouldn't be betting if you're not willing to lose the money. But on the flip side, there are individuals who who are 12, 13, 14 years old who are, are getting influenced into to using these websites with money that probably isn't theirs. So it's hard. I, I try not to judge when other people do it just because they're their own people and they can make their own decisions, but I don't think I would ever take that kind of sponsor. We often talk about, or I feel people often talk about in, in Counter-Strike and esports that you know there's, it's possible that there's 12 and 13-year-olds watching this and stuff, but I never really hear or read any really solid demographic information. Like, um, yes, when I go on to like you know matchmaking or something, I feel like I come, I play with a lot of you know teenagers. I don't know their ages though, and I don't really know what the split is. You know, let's say you've got five hundred thousand people watching Epicenter last week. Is there any information on how old those people are? I don't know. I think the closest thing we have is maybe. Um, 
I wish someone would kind of, I, I should ask somebody, honestly, because I'm curious myself. The closest thing you could get is maybe going to one of these larger YouTube channels, uh, CSGO influencers, and, and look at, because it'll tell you as long as the accounts haven't lied about their age when creating them. Um, it'll tell you the demographic and the age group. Uh, I, I should probably be taken with uh, a little bit of a margin of error, but I think that would be the best way to do it. And I honestly don't know. All I ever hear reference when it comes to businesses and, and influencers and stuff in this space is that it's between 13 and 30 or 13 and 31 mm-hmm. years old as the demographic. That's a very wide demographic. There's a very a large majority that are adults who should be making their own decisions and be responsible for, for the decisions they make. But you know, anywhere from 13 to 31, it's, it's difficult. So I, I don't know what percentage, if I had to ballpark out of, I would say. It was at this point during the interview that I began to drift off slightly and it wasn't because DK wasn't very interesting, but I suddenly realized that my age, 33, was actually outside the commonly quoted demographic of Counter-Strike by a full two years. Was I simply ahead of the curve? Was I an outlier? What was I doing with my life? A lot of older, uh, I'm 26 myself. There are a lot of older individuals that love the game and care about the game and have played it for over a decade. So it's very hard. I would say 25% maybe are under the age of 18. That's just a that's a very just shot in the dark. I have no idea, honestly. Mm. I feel like maybe though there's a, there's a, there's an overlap, but there's a difference in the sort of people who are watching, say, like a super stitum, you know, joke video. There are. There are. As opposed to like yeah. watching a, a, one of Thorin's, you know, in-depth. Yeah, you have a great point. Thought videos. And I think also there's a difference between the people who are playing just basic matchmaking and the people who are watching pro matches. Because like when I was 15, I played Counter-Strike, but would I have watched uh, pro matches? Probably not. That's the thing for me. I didn't. I I played Source when it came out because I'm from Seattle. That's everyone played Source here because that's where the Valve headquarters are. Um, as far as my me and my friends were concerned, there was no other version of the game than Source. Unfortunately, as sad as that sounds, and I look back and cringe on it. But uh, we all played that, and I hadn't even thought of the fact that there could be a pro match until it was like almost the end of Source. Uh, so it, it that's true. That's a very very good point. Do you still play CS:GO? Oh yeah, I play. Um, I didn't get to play a lot in in college. Um, I graduated uh, about a year and a half ago now from from college, and I didn't. I was so busy, and and I worked uh, also full time while I went to school. So I just kind of paid attention. I was just a lurking fan, just like anyone else. Um, and and I didn't get to play much, and so. I would say I've gotten to play more than I ever have uh, in a long time in the past year and a half or so, and especially more so that I've been doing this and working less when it comes to engineering. So it's, I, I definitely do play and I enjoy playing for sure. One of the recent things you've been tweeting about is the reporting of a $1 million buyout by Flickshot and ESPN Brazil uh, that Noah Winston's asking for immortals. Uh, mm-hmm. You've actually said according to your sources, at 600K. Do you think the Ginger Ninja, a.k.a. Ron Weasley, a.k.a. Noah Winston, would actually demand a million dollars for these guys? So it's a little hard for me because, it, you know, I trust my sources, so in my opinion, he's asking 600,000, but let's just say that it can be anywhere in that range. I don't think that's crazy for him to ask that amount. A lot of What a lot of people have to remember is they're, they're, when you're buying these benched players and you're signing KNG because he isn't, he isn't a member of an Immortals, uh, when, you're, when you're getting these players, you get an automatic major spot. It, there's no qualification. That means you get guaranteed sticker money, which is a percentage uh, from Valve, and you, get to, you divvy it up between the organization and the players, so you get an automatic return on investment. I think that that alone probably doubles the cost of these players. Maybe not quite double, but I would say, let's say it's, they're, they're not guaranteed a major and they're for sale right now, I think that an organization could come and probably buy all of them for somewhere in the range of 150 to 300,000. So that's where I kind of get the double from, uh, or maybe even triple, I guess you could say, if it's that low. Um, if this team has been practicing, um, I know they have been practicing. I don't know what the results of those are. Um, I don't know how well they've been playing together, but if they've been practicing and they've been preparing, what if they keep that legend spot? Then they're guaranteed two majors and two return on investments when it comes to sticker money. So 
I don't think it's out of this world. And it, it looks crazy when you see the number. I know it looks a bit crazy, even if it was a million. Um, but I, I don't think, I think, I do think that it wouldn't be out of the question for him to ask that. It could be possible, maybe at some point in time, he did ask a million. And now that it's gotten a bit later, now it's down to 600,000. That could be, could be the reason why we have two conflicting numbers. Well, to be honest, all of the numbers I've heard bandied about in regards to immortals um, seem crazy. Like, and maybe, it, maybe I've heard more about their figures because Winston's been quite upfront about how he raised capital and sort of how much was raised and stuff. But, and, and, and like I hear a lot of people saying, well, these organizations are kind of um, are being flooded with capital in the hope that in five years' time they'll be profitable. But I just don't quite see how that, like we have indications of that right now. Is CSGO growing enough that, that you think that'll happen, that these actually, they will turn a profit? Uh, it's, it's such a, a tough discussion to have because there's so many factors. Um, when it comes to CSGO in particular, I don't think an organization can just strictly stay with Counter-Strike and be profitable unless you are the best team. Like, right. I can see how FaZe, if FaZe do have other teams, but let's say that they only had a Counter-Strike team, I do think that team on its own could be profitable. It also depends on the structure, how many people you're paying, you know, whatever whatever is expected of you when this these investments come through. Mm. Um, but... I, I don't know. I, I honestly don't think it's you can uh, le- legitimately look at an organization, especially if it's just Counter-Strike, and expect it to make money in five years. I hope that's not what a lot of organizations are doing. I hope that's not what they're telling their investors because in five years it's going to be it's going to be pretty upsetting for those people when they go to look to get their money back or, or get a return on their investment. Um, I do think there is, of course, profit if if prize pools continue to increase between multiple games. Um, I don't really care too much for Overwatch, but when you hear about the crazy amount of, of money that teams are having to pay to even be in their league and it's so, so unproven, I would be scared putting my money in. If, it, if I was in that situation and I had a, an opportunity to invest money in Immortals from a neutral standpoint, I probably wouldn't. I probably think, I don't, I don't know that I'm convinced. Um, so I think you have to be a very, very high level team and you have to, you have to win a lot and you have to participate in a lot of events and that's, there's only so many teams that can do that. It seems like if, if we look at other speculative bubbles, you really have to either hedge your bets if you're investing across multiple teams in the hope that one or two are going to continue yep. on beyond, or the brand's going to be strong enough to continue on beyond, say, like a, a bubble bursting in Counter-Strike perhaps, and, and maybe you know Overwatch overtakes it in, in popularity in five years' time, or um, you know, <laughs> who knows what shooter's going to yep. come next and take it, take it over. What about uh, Cloud9? I don't know if you've, if you've listened to any episodes where I've basically blown a whole lot of smoke up their butts, but it looks like recently like Liquid are having issues. They've just pulled out a DreamHack winter. There's rumors that Zoo's contract ends at the end of the year, perhaps. Um, yeah. He might be going to another team. I think I read a rumor about that. According to the people I've talked to, his, his contract runs out by the end of the year. Uh, and that means um, if they qualify for the major, they're at the minor right now. They just made the playoffs. If they qualify for the major and they weren't to re-sign him, they'd, they'd be without a coach or they'd have to have a new coach. That would be a blow to the team because he is such a crucial uh, component to them yeah. and, and the success that they've found. I mean, obviously, they've switched the roles around, and I don't know how big of an uh, impact he was on that decision. I would assume he had a lot of input into it. But, I mean, Zeus, in my opinion, if you are to ask me, ranks among the best coaches in Counter-Strike. Like, I would say between him and Zonic from Astralis, I would say are two just about the two best coaches you can find in the whole entire uh, Counter-Strike scene. So uh, I had mentioned just that he uh, his contract will be ending, and, and actually the owner of Liquid responded to me by saying, we love him and... Uh, you know, he's a fantastic coach. So I'm assuming they're doing everything they can to resign him and they should. Um, I don't, me putting that out there wasn't necessarily to say that he's trying to leave. Uh, that's not what I was trying to reference. I was just basically pointing out, uh, his, his contract ends before this major, you know, and, and if, you know, they want to keep him, they really should, they should really make that a, a priority. Um, as far as the pulling out of, um, DreamHack Winder, I do think he is having some visa issues, which I believe are totally unrelated to the contract or any of that. I mean, maybe right. there's some kind of issue with why he can't or why he's having trouble, and maybe that's why they're maybe that's why they still haven't extended him yet. I'm not sure 
But it's not him putting pressure on the org, you don't think? I don't think so. I mean, obviously, as far as I'm concerned, as far as the people I've talked to, he would love to stay there. I mean, they've, right. they've found a lot of success recently. And, uh, or I mean, he's kind of brought the success along with them. I would yeah. say he's a, a very, very large reason why they've, they've uh, made some improvement in the past. It seems like there's a requirement to be a good coach. You have to be kind of big and cuddly. He might look big and cuddly, but he's he'll bring the fire on his on his players. That's something that actually a lot of coaches lack. Uh, he is he is an authoritarian. I would say is the one word that describes him, which is necessary, especially when you're dealing with uh, young uh, North American talent that have have an ego packed along with them. He actually seems like the most interesting guy. I've said this before, like in the, in the content they put out. I'm like, I would just like to watch a show about Zeus. Yeah, he's a very uh, intriguing individual. I've, I've spoken to him at events. Um, I don't think I've outright interviewed him, but I, anytime I've talked to him, uh, he's a very, very uh, appreciative person and, and very. Um, he's also very humble. I mean, if you ever kind of give him some props for putting in the work, he's, he's, uh, he's never like, oh, he never even really says thank you. He's like, oh, no, I would. You know, don't thank me. Those guys did it. They had those guys, those guys played their way into this situation. Whenever I think it was when I talked to him at New York, and I think in New York actually, I mentioned to him um, that when they had beaten SK to get to the finals, I said, uh, "Did you were you up late last night?" Or, or, you know, because he's like, "I'm kind of losing my voice and I'm tired." And and I said, "Were you up late last night studying SK?" And he was like, "Study SK." No, I don't. I don't need to say yes, K. I coached those guys for for a couple of years. I can, I know them like the back of my hand. We didn't have to. Pre- we didn't have to prepare anything really. And so, he's a, he's pretty intriguing and, and definitely definitely yeah. I would watch if there was any kind of show just about him. Definitely, he's a very interesting individual. We should try and pressure him to do a one v one versus Zonic. Yeah, yeah. I think Zonic would. Actually, I don't know. They both have played recently. Yeah, you know, I think. They yeah, both have, good right? point. That'd be a good one. When I'm uh, questioning Liquid, I also often um, talk about how I think Cloud9 is, is the next number one NACS team. Am I just okay. being totally irrational here? Because I, 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 come, I come at things from the point of view of like basically my instinct and, and, and what I feel like a narrative is where I feel like a narrative is leading. But I actually don't really know that much about the teams and, and how they've and their stats and their history and stuff how do you how do you feel about cloud nine right uh i'd see i struggle i struggle the the number one team i struggle with the most or i would say the type of team it also applies to is a team that doesn't have a legitimate uh proven leader whether that's a leader just on the team or an in-game leader it could be either or it could be you know the same person if they're both when when I see teams like that, like Mouse Sports or like Cloud9, who's just, or even you can even include Optic, the new Optic in this now, um, I always think that when it, when they fall upon hard times, and players are not as motivated, what can you rely on? Because some of these structured teams, if they're not feeling it or things aren't going that well, some of these teams have a default strategy or a way they want to approach the game that has some sort of basic level to it mm. where there is some structure they can kind of fall upon some kind of strategy to get them through a map or to get them to help bring them back in a game just something and when i look at these teams who don't have that who don't yeah they'll have someone who's trying to be an authoritarian but once that person is not motivated they're not feeling it anymore i feel like those teams can it can it can be really disruptive to the team so mm. oftentimes when the team is struggling i'll think up oh, here we go here we go. Here's when they they slide. Players aren't playing well. They're not going to be getting along anymore. They're going to be arguing like crazy. Nothing's going to be working. But they prove me wrong every time. Cloud Nine. Every time I think, yeah, they're they're going to go out in groups here. They're going to make it to the quarters. And you know what? They make it to a semifinal and they look good doing it. So when it comes to Cloud Nine, every time I tell myself, all right, here's where, all right, the honeymoon period's over. Uh, Tarek isn't really that. He hasn't have that much experience as an in-game leader. Here's where things start to fall apart. But they don't. So I'm probably not the best person to ask because I still to this day or still right now think that Liquid is far and away the better team. But if you look at the results, I'd say Cloud9 based on recent performance is probably the higher ranked team. So yes. I struggle. I struggle. <laughs> I struggle. But if I if you, you know, if I had to make the decision right now, I'd say Cloud9 is the better team. Although for the future or if they both make it to the major, uh, I would... Or, or if we have to predict right now, if, if Liquid makes it through and goes to the major qualification event, just like Cloud9's in right now, I would pick Team Liquid to go further, though, if I had to, just right. because of what I just, what I just said.
Uh, all right, so the most pressing question, I think, and the elephant in the room, I feel like we've been sort of dancing around it all the interviews. Come January, how much do you think VP will win the major by and who will they beat in the grand finals? <laughs> oh man um man it's so preposterous how this how this team functions man um so last time that i i talked to them and actually interviewed neo in new york uh so that was in september for those who who might not recall um they they went out in groups there. That's when they weren't looking good. That's when they had kind of experimented with snacks leading still, I believe, or yeah. something like that. I don't know. Uh, they kind of flip-flopped on who they said was in game leading and then finally clarified it when I asked. But essentially, they weren't looking good then. And and when, when I talked to those players, they kind of just seemed they're just defeated almost not completely defeated because these are guys who have been through they've been through everything uh and the one thing that when i i, I believe it was neo it might have been taz i'm pretty sure it's neo he said that you know i was i was on a roster in 1.6 towards the end that also lasted about four years and he said there was a point in time where we the same thing happened where we were nowhere to be seen we lost every match we played we couldn't win online we couldn't get to events and uh we, we came out of it and we became very good again. So they had no reason to believe it was kind of just like them wondering, all right, it should be time now. We should start getting better again sometime soon. And I think this time, this time was the biggest slump I think that we've seen in CSGO for these guys. Uh, they've been through tough ones before and it's just, it's almost the beauty of the game when you watch. Uh, one of the things that makes it so beautiful is that on any uh, term we use in America for, for American football, I'm, I apologize anyone watching who you know, doesn't doesn't like that or watch it. There's a term called any given Sunday, and that refers to the most games are played on Sundays. And it basically means that on any given Sunday, any team can win as long as the the right things happen. And that's that's the feeling I get with these guys. They've they have the experience to fall back on, and they have some very very skilled players. Neo, you know, in my opinion, a lot of people's opinion, the best Counter Strike player of all time. And he doesn't like when you say that, but he is. He is the best player of all time, and he does have something to fall back on. So. That's how I view this team. I don't think. Um, I mean, obviously they're they're legends again for the major, so that's a good spot to be in. I said it last major. I don't see them making it to the into the playoffs, and they did. They actually they they did. They looked quite good. Um, they've always shown up at majors. They've actually never missed one. So um, I don't know. This it's. I, I will have to see when it gets closer. I have to see the other eight teams that get included. Teams are getting better every year that go to a major. So. Uh, I think it'll be even tougher. I think this will be the toughest major form, even though that they've they've kind of found some form uh, here in the th recent weeks. Well, this leads me on to my next question: <clears throat> Who is your favorite player, and why is it Bialy? Bialy, <laughs> he's not my favorite player, actually. What? Um, <laughs> uh, did you think it was, or are you just saying that? I'm just saying that because I I think I'm developing somewhat of an obsession with Bialy purely because he's the most enigmatic unreachable player in a major team yeah he's 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 very unique um i've always said he's the player on virtus pro that if he is if he is playing well he's got un he's the swing player un yeah yeah he's the swing player he's the x factory yeah. he's the catalyst for that team if he is playing well and he's hitting shots just the the overall structure of the rest of the team they're gonna win yeah. like if he's He's also like an apex on a G2. If he's feeling it and he's hitting his shots, he's getting entries or he's getting his two kills when he's defending bombsite, good luck. You can try whatever you want, but good luck because you get through him and then you have Kenny S behind him. So it's it's a very, very hard thing to deal with. And uh, he, yeah, I agree with you on that. My favorite player, uh, I resonate with consistency uh, on LAN. I resonate with players who are hard workers and don't make excuses. Um, mm -hmm. I would say the largest one for me, so my favorite player, would have to be Elish. Elish, right? Okay, Elish, yeah, it would have to be my best, my favorite player, just for his consistency—not just consistency, but consistent and being extremely good internationally. Um, he's a very, very uh, perplexing individual. Honestly, this—he's actually fluent in Portuguese, self self-taught himself what? portuguese yes actually he speaks a, a bunch of languages i believe but i think portuguese is his other one other than english that he is very fluent in um, does he speak polish I, I, he's got a polish background right? 
I think he knows a little bit of Polish. Not fluent, though. Not fluent enough to carry a conversation, maybe. I don't know. I don't want to speak for him. But I do want to report. I've asked, actually, some of the Brazilian players or uh, those inside the Brazilian scene. Like, let's say something happened to a player. I mean, I know Boltz did, you know, for, looks like he's going to replace Phelps for the long term, mm-hmm. uh, other than the major. Let's say one of those players had something happen. I mean, Fur had surgery recently and they had to have a stand-in last year or so, or maybe that was the beginning of this year. Mm. What if a situation like that came up and he, for some reason, was a free agent from Team Liquid? Uh, would he be someone that you guys would get? And they said, absolutely. He could absolutely play with us. He's fluent enough. He can speak it. And we wow. think he'd be one of the best players available. They would actually, if he was available, I get the sense that they would pick him over any other Brazilian player because he's that good. And hey, he can speak Portuguese. So... He's a very, it's it's crazy to think. So he's a very hard worker. He's known for a little bit of attitude issues. And I, to me, having an attitude issue because you're a bit immature is one thing. But in, even though he, he probably was immature at the start of his time in CSGO, I do believe that some of his attitude comes from just wanting to win. Yeah. And, and that is something I resonate with. That's why when people have in the past have called Simple a bit toxic, mm. I, I still kind of... Uh, I don't view it that way as much because he just he just loves the game so much. He just wants to win, and that kind of emotion I can resonate. Like with. Stewie Two K apparently has the same thing, right? Yes, he does. Uh, that's actually a very good and and one that people don't realize. I wouldn't call him nearly as uh, I wouldn't actually even use the word toxic to ever describe Stewie, but he is a very uh, emotionally driven person who is competitive and is emotional because he wants to win. And and Elish, I would describe as the same way. But he's so mechanically good. He used to be a StarCraft two professional before Counter Strike, so he's. <laughs> He seems the, so. The guys, me- he seems so mechanically good that he seems almost a mechanical human. I mean, you see him yeah, in this he, content with uh, Liquid, and I have to say, he may be a lovely person, but he seems quite hard to like just through the footage because he's so ex- uh, expressionless. Yeah, is he that way in real life, or is that just one of the cameras on him? I would say a little bit. A bit of that is due to the camera. Um, you do uh, every once in a while someone will post a video it's actually quite interesting it doesn't get a lot of attention there's actually a guy who's posted a couple of youtube videos where he'll play on retake servers in csgo and elige will be in there because he likes to do that but he's in there having a good old time and joking around and laughing with i have him. seen those yeah and it's like yeah, well wow, you're so, a different person than you look. yeah he can open up a bit so i would say that's definitely due to the camera and and in high pressure situations he's probably might not be the most fun person to be around but that's that's okay because this guy's going to hard carry you in almost every match you play uh if you look he's at the top of the scoreboard he just he just always finds a way to do it and is he's the backbone of that team um i know but he seems too good for that team in some way he almost does uh he is among one of the very few players that i believe if in for what reason or another that phase was looking for a player down the line he is the one or two north american players that i believe could play on an international team and be the best at their position uh in the roles that they play on the team i would put him i think stewie 2k if he really put the time into it and and wasn't focusing so much on making his team work he could also be on an international team he's just so good and, and and still so much improvement to be had because they're so young Uh, so one of the things I talk about in this podcast is relationships in CSGO, and that's purely by coincidence. It wasn't something I planned. Um, mm-hmm. Now, you say you're 26. I'm a guy. I'm in his 30s. I played CS back in high school when I was 15. I really didn't think that not only would I still be playing it, but actually talking about it and following a pro scene. Um, and I think my uncertainty about it sort of somewhat reflects the public at large. Like when I tell people, oh, yeah, you know, I've got a podcast about this or I play this, they're like, what? Yeah. Oh, you mean that? Like, if they know the game, they're like, you mean that game <laughs> we played, like, you know, 18 mm-hmm. years ago now? Um, and some of them have to kind of see it to believe that it's a thing and, and hear the commentary and stuff. Um, and at the same time, like, there's a part of me that's like, this is ridiculous. I'm a grown man. Uh, I have a completely separate career. And yet here I am talking about a video game. Do you ever have that sort of feeling? I do. I do. I think about it pretty often. It's it's kind of funny. Um it's it's weird almost to go i mean i i actually don't i don't think i've ever shared with anyone that i work with on a professional level as an engineer that i do this um really just because not because i i have any shame in it or anything i mean uh, my friends and family are, are well aware but um i don't 
I'm just a person who's kind of private like that when it comes to people that I'm not particularly friends with or spend time with. I don't, I'm not a person that goes out of my way to share anything about my personal life just because not because I don't want to, I just, I just don't do it. I just, for some reason. Um, but I do think about, I will think about when I'm like, when I've, you know, whether not so much at an event because an event's so cool and it's so polarizing and it's so fun to work and be around those people. I don't really think about it then, but yeah, when you're just sitting there and, and I'm, and I'm writing something or I'm publishing something or I'm looking into something, I'm just thinking, I, when Source came out and I was just playing this as a, you know, a little kid and I didn't have my own computer, I played at my friends because, uh, I didn't have a computer to game on when, when I was yeah, that young. Too. Yeah. I was like, in a million years, I, you know, a lot of people always say like, oh, never in a million years I would have guessed. And then yeah. I think, oh yeah, well you kind of could have, but no, really, I could have never guessed that I would ever do anything, let alone make, I don't like to call this a career because a lot of people, I still say I'm not a journalist to these days, even though I do journalism. I'm, I'm, I'm an engineer. That's my profession. But when it comes to this, it's so interesting. And I'm so, I don't want to, I don't know if it's emotionally or mentally or both in, engaged in it that I don't think of it as a job. It's just, I resonate with these players that, that I, we, we focus on because I'm a player of the game myself. And it's, it's so interesting. And, and no, I, I think about all the time, never, <laughs> I don't. I, I think it's funny. I, don't, I can't. I can't. Still can't believe that I do this and that people are interested in anything I have to say. Do you think you will do it full time if the opportunity arises? Uh, I could have. I could have taken a little bit of a more full time uh, position with Slingshot. Um, I was actually offered well before Slingshot when I was just doing YouTube stuff. There was a company that wanted to move me out and and do content uh, and do it full time. Uh, so I've been offered the. And I've been given the proposition I actually have here recently since uh, Slingshot has closed to do that. I don't, I, never is a long time, so I'll never say never, but um, I still have such a familiarity. And I, since I don't know how it is in other countries, I'm sure it's expensive in other countries too, but I, I paid so much money for my degree at school that I would just <laughs> hate myself. I would hate myself to have spent all that money yeah. and come out of school debt free because I work full time the whole time just to, to give it up. So I'll never say never, but uh, right now at this point in time, I'm still going to be involved in it one way or another. How, how do you have a job in mechanical engineering that allows you to just work three or four days a week? Well, for a lot of the time that I was with Slingshot until just a few months ago, I was working full time. So that was okay, right. that was a lot of short, a lot of uh, sleep. I don't want to say sleepless nights, but short sleep. Um, recently, I just I basically kind of worked myself into a position and, and to where uh, I'm able to work that much. I, I'm very fortunate for it. It's it's not a common occurrence and it's just something that an opportunity presented itself and and those I work with were okay with it and, and I've kind of just made it work and um, oh. th- I'm, I'm just, I would say I lucked into it. That's what I would say. I say I lucked into all this, whether anything that I'm doing, I mean, obviously I put in the work, but. Yeah, DK, uh, I, I, don't know, I don't know. You, you, you don't luck into things. Come on. You, you're a smart guy. You're an articulate guy, and and you've got you've got an ethical base, and I think people respond to that. That's that's not luck. That's, they respond I mean, to something. You're yes. lucky. You're lucky. You may be lucky in that your parents have have given you a, a good framework to start off with, hmm. and a good work ethic. That is true. You know, one of the things. Uh, so I, I've recently been single, as some of my <laughs> listeners would know. And I'm back okay. on the dating scene. And one of the things I say up front to girls, just to gauge their reaction, is, yeah, I've got a podcast about Counter-Strike. And first <laughs> off, they're like, what is Counter-Strike? That's and daring. That's daring to bring that up right away. Yeah, well, I treat it like an in- like I'm entry fragging, you know? It's like, uh, <laughs> I'll fire the first shot and uh, maybe I'll crash and burn, but at least I'll know. And to be honest, you know, you own it. And it's like, so what? This is the future. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm finding more and more that my insecurity about it or my, you know, weird feelings about it are kind of just mine, you know? Yeah. Everybody's got a phone that they have played games on at some point now. Um, and this idea that, I don't know, that, that, that esports is a thing, obviously is, a, is anathema to some people still, but subcultures are not, what they used to be like in in the 90s when i was growing up subculture meant something really edgy but these days subculture just means that you follow your own thing on twitter or you follow your own thing on instagram you know and everybody seems to kind of have 
one that they do thanks to the internet. Yeah, one at least. I have like I can only have time for everything I'm interested in. So I I totally I feel you there. What's do you have a do you have a weird subculture that you follow apart from CSA? nothing weird? I just I want to spend so much time like learning about things or like I, I'm a fan of Formula One huge I always have been I, I've raced personally in my life and when I was younger and so like I, I'm super into that um, whatever you know everyone's into some kind of TV show or I, I love to read a, a ton and so like just fitting that all in one day with everything all my other responsibilities that's the biggest problem for me yeah <laughs> honestly yeah. yeah the internet allows us to indulge in hobbies and uh, fascinations on a scale that we weren't able to right on a scale we weren't able to and so quickly like yeah. you can you can you can almost trick someone into being that you're an expert on some kind of subject just by spending 10 minutes on google so <laughs> that's how my podcast works my friend Well, I'm going to let you go. Thank you so much for your time. I wish you the best of luck with what you're doing next and be assured that I will promote this shit out of it regardless of what it is to my 15 followers on Twitter and uh, 500 listeners on SoundCloud. Oh, yeah. I appreciate the time. Um, I, I like doing this kind of stuff and uh, hopefully hopefully I can help bring in a, f- a few more listeners for you because I think uh, I would I would encourage you to keep doing what you're doing because like I mentioned, I can't find enough things to listen to. So uh, I, I really appreciate what you're doing too. And there you have it, the very first interview of the Truth CSGO podcast. You can follow DK at NWDK on Twitter. Search for D-E-K-A-Y on YouTube for his channel. There's content coming out seemingly all the time and uh, it's just come to my attention as well there's a new podcast on the scene as of this week it's called rush b podcast rush b podcast they've just followed me on twitter i have no idea who's behind it but have a google for that if this hasn't been enough content for you as always you can get me on the truth csgo podcast at gmail.com or the truth csgo podcast on twitter enjoy the game